Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. 721 this Wednesday morning, my cell phone rang, and it was my cousin Sandy. She called to tell me that her brother-in-law, so I guess he's my cousin by marriage, Carl, had committed his life to Jesus Christ six weeks ago. It was big news because Carl's 79, and up to six weeks ago, Carl had never had any interest at all in the things of God, and certainly not in knowing Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. So Karen, uh, Sandy's sister, is Carl's wife, and Carl is uh, Karen's second husband, and, and Karen is Carl's second wife, and, and they've lived uh, for 33 years together. They've been married for 33 years together, but Carl's been an unbeliever, and Karen's been a believer. And um, Sandy and Karen's dad, my Uncle Chuck, was the finest Christian man I've ever known. He was a mine foreman, and you might not think that mine foreman and finest Christian man you've ever met go together, but Uncle Chuck was a soft-spoken man, and, and when he entered a room, he just, he just commanded the room. And my dad, who was very far from God during those days, um, was one who was influenced significantly by my Uncle Chuck. In fact, I, I used to pray for my Uncle Chuck to come and visit a lot because every time Uncle Chuck entered our house, my dad's demeanor changed, his attitude changed, his language changed. Everything about him changed. I remember when I was six years old and we went to Pioneer Lake as a big family gathering for a week of camping and boating. And, and the first day at lunchtime, Uncle Chuck said, well, let's pray. And I had never heard a man pray who wasn't a preacher before. And when Uncle Chuck prayed, it wasn't like God is great, God is good. It was like, God, you're great. But in his quiet way, you know, God. And, and I mean, it was I really understood for the first time, this guy knew God. I mean, he, he knew him on a personal basis. And, and Uncle Chuck had Jesus Christ in his life, and the power of the Holy Spirit was so obvious. And it, it's just amazing. I tell you all of that because we're, in the, we're actually wrapping up a series today that's called God's Design for Singleness, Dating, marriage and beyond. And the beyond is parenting children and parenting parents. And, and, and as, as I mentioned my Uncle Chuck and tell you, you probably would think that Uncle Chuck would have been the best example of a Christian husband you'd ever meet and the best example of a Christian dad you could ever meet. And he was. But what you probably wouldn't expect is that my Aunt Grace, who's my dad's sister, left my Uncle Chuck for three years during their marriage. And my Uncle Chuck waited and welcomed her back. And what you wouldn't expect is that Uncle Chuck's daughter, Karen, would have married a guy who didn't even know God after having such an amazing example as a dad, but, but she did. Uncle Chuck prayed for Carl to come to know Jesus every single day, but Uncle Chuck died 24 years ago, and Carl was as far away from God as he had ever been at that moment. And uh, I, I share this personal story with you because some of you have come to me after one of the messages in this series, like the marriage one or the children one, and, and, and what you've said to me is, you know, I got the impression from this message that you think because I've been divorced that I haven't been following God's design for my life, and, and you know, I felt sort of, they didn't use this word, but judged. Or maybe I felt like if, if I had done a better job as a parent, my children wouldn't be disobedient and turning away from him right now. And that's, that's exactly the opposite of what we've been seeking to say during this message series. 
We've shared God's design for singleness, for dating, for marriage, for parenting children and parenting parents. Not to say if you follow all of these scriptures, all of your families are going to all turn out the way you want them to be. That's not what we've done that for. We've done that because we want you to understand that when you decide to pursue God's design for anything, the devil's going to be upset. The devil doesn't want us to do things God's way. And so when we decide to have a godly marriage, when we decide to have, be a godly parent, there's going to be attacks in our lives. And everyone who encountered Carl, my cousin, after he made that commitment six weeks ago, said he was different. Obviously different. The doctors and the nurses said he was different. His sons who grew up in a godless home found out that their dad actually loved God for the first time. And in these past six weeks, he's asked them on a daily basis to read the Bible to him because he couldn't see. And, and they just, they, they couldn't believe it. They, it was like he wasn't the same person. And in the deepest sense, he wasn't. You see, what the Apostle Paul said is anyone who's in Christ is a new person, a new creation. The old life is finished Behold, the new has come. Jesus said, when we receive Jesus, when we have this new life, we're born again. It's a different person. And Carl was this different person for six weeks. It was just an incredible thing. And, and Sandy called on Wednesday morning at 721 to tell me, you know, about all of this and to tell me that Carl had died that morning. And some of you might hear that and go, how sad. That somebody lives 79 years without God and then just six weeks he lives for God and he dies. And when I heard what Sandy said, I thought, what amazing grace that a man who is going to die and go to hell is in heaven today because of the change that took place in his life. Uncle Chuck and Karen both knew and know God's design for marriage and parenting, yet they've experienced so much pain in both. Why is that? Well, well, the answer is simple, because whenever a, a person is married to another person, if that person follows Jesus, it's no guarantee that the other person will, or that the other person won't reject Jesus at some point. If two parents are godly parents, and they're raising their children in, in the ways of God, and, in, and with the love of God, and the truth of God, it, it's no guarantee that that child won't grow up to reject everything that the parents have taught. Because you know what? God wants everybody to be part of his family, but God won't force anybody to be part of his family. We have to make that commitment for ourselves. You see, when a child decides to reject Jesus' influence in his, in, in, in his or her life, loving parents, all we can do is pray at that point. This series has not been designed to show us if we follow God's design for anything, that our lives will be the way we want them to be. It has been designed to show us that when we follow God's design for anything, that our lives will be more than they could have ever been before. That our lives will be more significant. Our lives will be more abundant. Our lives will be more effective. And we will know life that is truly life in our lives. You know, when anyone that we love suffers, we suffer, right? That's true whether it's our spouse or our parents or children. And when we see them suffer, we suffer too. 
And when they reject the life that we know is truly life, it causes deep pain in our lives, deep agony in our lives. And that's why Nancy and I, right now, our hearts are torn apart. And some of you are new and you don't know what's going on, but our younger daughter has made some choices right now that are just, she's totally off the reservation, as the saying goes. And this is what I know for sure. Proverbs 22.6 says this. Train up a child in the way he, in our case, she should go. And when she is old, she won't depart from it. That's a principle, and it's true. And I I share it with you because some of you know what we're experiencing. Maybe not the details, but the, the reality of children who have rejected what you know to be true in the life that you know is is everything good. So if we're struggling with our children or our parents or our spouse right now, remember Carl. Because here's the thing about Carl. I've met lots of Carls as a pastor. Six weeks or six days or six minutes before their life ended, they turned their lives over to Jesus Christ. And they get just as much of heaven as all of us who have been serving him for 50 or 60 years. What they miss out on is this, serving faithfully while we're here and now. What they miss out on is some of the reward that Jesus promises for obedience in this life. You know, what does all of that have to do with this last message in our series, which is titled, God's Family is for Everyone? It has everything to do with it, because what I'm trying to get us all to do right now this morning is I want us to think from the perspective of the end of our life. Because if we all thought about the end of our life when we woke up every day, we would live the present differently. If we realize that one day this life ends for everybody, and one day we're going to spend eternity in one of two places, we're either going to go to heaven or we're going to go to hell, then we would live this life differently day by day by day. You see, all of us define life in only one of two ways. We define it by some outside objective reality, which I would say God Or we live our lives as if we're the center of the universe subjectively. And we live by our feelings, by what makes me feel good right now in this moment. And the objective reality that we teach about here at New Life is the God of the universe, God the Father who created everything that exists, a lot that we can see, some that we can't, much that we can't, who had a son named Jesus who came to the earth as a baby. We're going to celebrate his birthday in December. And he grew up and he lived a perfect life. And after he lived that perfect life for 33, 30 30 years or so, he he spent three years in ministry and he healed sick people and he, he raised dead people and he cast out demons. And then he died and he rose again and he went back to heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit to those who believe in him. And as Jesus lived on the earth 2,000 years ago, there were there was an interesting thing about Jesus. Crowds gathered everywhere Jesus went and the crowds loved Jesus. The crowds loved Jesus, but the religious leaders hated Jesus. The religious leaders didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah, God's appointed deliverer, the Son of God. They didn't believe it. You see, Jesus was too radical for them. Jesus, uh, as he, he came and talked about God, he was too extreme. He said, let's call God Father. And the Jews said, oh, no, 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 you can't call God Father. He's too distant. He's too other. He's too transcendent. He can't be called Father. Jesus said, you can't put God in a box and just bring him out on Sunday morning or another day, Saturday night or Friday night. 
He's out there, and he's in here. He's in our lives. And, and when Jesus taught, the crowds, they knew he was right. But the religious leaders turned against him and eventually caused him to be crucified. In our day, many have rejected the church, the church, because they see the church as being like the religious leaders of the first century. Don't do this. Don't do that. All these regulations, all these rules, that's what life is about. And when they reject the church, many people reject Jesus because they don't understand that Jesus rejected all that religious stuff for a relationship, a relationship with the living God of the universe. And Jesus died to give us not more rules and regulations. He died so we can have a relationship with the living God. And when we pray, say, our Father in heaven. That's what Jesus came to do, and he did it. But in our day, the other thing is, and in defense of the church people, the church people look out in the world and they see people going crazy. They do whatever they want to do. They do whatever feels good. And we don't want to do that. And so we develop what? Rules to keep us from being like the people out there in the world who are going crazy. But that's not what Jesus called us to be or do. You see, life in Jesus Christ is not freedom without limits. Life in Jesus Christ is freedom within limits that keep us living whole, meaningful, abundant lives in our families in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever we go. And one of the greatest blessings of being a follower of Jesus is that our family gets to be so much bigger once we trust Jesus. When Carl trusted Jesus, his family expanded to millions, billions of people all over the world. And our take-home point today, and for those of you who are new, we have one point we seek to make, and it took me a long time to get to this point today, but here's the one point. You'll see it. When we become followers of Jesus, our family expands to include millions of people. Whatever our family, biological family experience has been, and maybe it's been terrible, maybe we didn't have one, maybe we've been in foster care our whole lives, maybe we were put out in the street when we were small, whatever that was like, once we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we become part of His family, and that family extends all across the planet, and it also extends into heaven. When Carl died six weeks ago, his life didn't end, it began eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ and with millions of others who have gone before him. That's what we have to look forward to. Now, as followers of Jesus, we all know at some level that we are members of his family. We know that Jesus told us to call God our heavenly father, and yet many of us have never found a church where we have, have had even a glimpse of that family thing going on. And many of you over the recent years and actually recent months and weeks have come to me and, and, and you've sort of like leaned in and said, you know, I've only been coming here a few weeks, but it actually seems like the people here like each other. We do. You know, the people here actually like each other because Jesus, we know Jesus died for us and he rose again for us and we have this common bond. The blood of Jesus gathers us together as one family and it's getting bigger all the time and the family's gonna get bigger and bigger as long as we continue to live out the truth and the love of Jesus because Jesus promised that. And in fact, what we're doing right now is we're getting a glimpse of God's ultimate design for families, being with him and his children at every time and place forever. That's what happens in a church, in a local church. We get a glimpse of that bigger picture Every person, every person on the planet right now is divided in one of two groups. Those who are already part of the family of Jesus Christ and those Jesus died to 
bring into his family who are not yet part of that family. You see, the scripture we're going to read in just a moment reminds us of the take-home point that when we become followers of Jesus, our family expands to include millions of people. And until we become followers of Jesus, we are not part of his family. I want you to hear that because here's the thing about Jesus. He loves us so much, he didn't force us to be part of his family. We are all welcome in his family, but we have to say yes. If we don't say yes, then we're on the outside, just as Carl was for 79 years. For 79 years, Carl said no, 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 no. And then six weeks ago, he said yes. And God didn't say, well, what's the deal? 79 years, you think I should let you in now? He just said, welcome. I'm so glad that you finally came into the family. Now, many people over the years have come to me and said, Pastor Chris, I don't understand. You know, it seems to me that if God's really a loving God, that he couldn't you know, say no to anybody coming into his family. I mean, a loving God couldn't send anybody to hell. I mean, I wouldn't send anybody to hell if I were God. Then it sounds right, doesn't it? It sounds like God ought to be up there in heaven just going, ollie, ollie, oxen free, and everybody ought to get to come in. Doesn't that seem like the way it should be? Well, from a human standpoint, yes, because we don't think about things the way God thinks about them. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to do that. We're going to think about the family of God the way Jesus defined it. And here it is. It's from Matthew chapter 12. If you have your Bible, you're going to want to open up to Matthew 12 or your Bible app, and it's verse 46. And we're going to look at this interaction that Jesus had with his biological family because our spiritual family and our biological family, they're not always the same thing as as we know because to be part of the spiritual family, we have to trust Jesus. And so it says this, as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside. That's his biological mother and his stepbrothers. Okay, asking to speak with him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside and they want to speak to you. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for clarity that you give us when we turn to your word. And I ask today that as we consider what it means to be part of your family, that you would make that clear in our minds, in our hearts, our spirits, our souls, and that each of us in this room today would not only want that, but receive it if we have not yet received it by your grace and your, your love. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside asking to speak to him. So Jesus' biological mother, Mary, and his stepbrothers were all outside. There's this crowd. There was always a crowd. As I said, when Jesus was around, what did Jesus do? He healed sick people. He cast demons out of people. He fed hungry people. And he raised people from the dead. Now, if you do that in any era of history, you're going to attract a crowd. Now, in 30 AD in Israel, there were no hospitals. There were no grocery stores. So somebody who could heal and raise people from the dead and who could feed hungry people with just a few resources, they're going to be very sought out, and Jesus was. So as the crowd surrounded Jesus, his biological mother and his stepbrothers came up, and they wanted to see him. But they couldn't because this crowd was blocking their way. And so someone told Jesus, hey, your mother and brothers are outside, and they want to speak to you. It's a reasonable request, right? Jesus probably wanted to see his mom. 
He probably wanted to see his brothers. He might not have seen them for weeks or months. We really don't know how long the time had been, but it seems reasonable that Jesus would want to see his biological family. But Jesus took this opportunity to expand everyone's definition of his family, of his family. He said this, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Now, we read that and we go, I read that a hundred times since I was a little kid. But if you never read that before, or if you were there for the very first time, you're in the crowd and you've been listening to this guy whose teaching is just incredible. I mean, he takes the complicated ideas of God and he makes them so simple that anybody can understand them. And all of a sudden, he's saying, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? I mean, I knew that when I was three. My mother's Ruth and my brothers are Jim, Tom, and Ken. And, and who's your mother and brother? And then Jesus follows that up by saying, he pointed to his disciples, said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So how does Jesus define his family? The answer is clear, isn't it? He defines his family as anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my, my, my brother, sister, and mother. So Jesus' family is for everyone, but the everyone is limited to those who do the will of his father in heaven. Now, there's a problem there, isn't there? How do you tell whether you're doing the will of the Father in heaven. You see, some people say it's follow the Ten Commandments. I follow the Ten Commandments, so I'm obviously doing the will of the Father in heaven. And some people say, well, I trusted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Some people say, I, and then you fill in the blank. I'm a good person. Hundreds of people have told me that over the years, probably thousands. I'm a good person. You know, if, I, if there's a heaven when I die, I'm going to go because I'm a good person. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And you know what the thing is? It doesn't matter what I think the will of the Father in heaven is. It doesn't matter what you think the will of the Father in heaven is. It matters what this book says the will of the Father in heaven is. And the will of the Father in heaven in the Old Testament, which is two-thirds of this book, is to do what the law of Moses says, and when you don't, offer an animal sacrifice. And in the New Testament, it's a lot different than that. It's both easier and harder. It's easier because there's no more animal sacrifices and there's no more 600 and something laws to follow. There's Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's what it means to do the will of the Father, to trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And the thing is, what about the works? What about the good deeds? Because Jesus said anyone who does the will, does the will, that's works, right? Of my Father in heaven is part of the family. Well, that debate has raged for 2,000 years now. Is it faith? Or is it works that make us part of the family? And the answer is it isn't faith or works. It's faith that issues forth in works. The best scripture I know to explain that is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, where we read these words, God saved you by his grace when you believe. So it's God's grace and faith. And it says, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. If I gave you a present, if I handed you a present, Sue, and you wouldn't take it, it's still my present because Sue won't take it. And when God offers us a present and we don't take it, it's still his. So then it says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So that's what salvation isn't. That's what doing the will of the Father in heaven isn't. It says, so none of us can boast about it. But here, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things 
He planned for us long ago. So to do the will of Jesus, Father in heaven, is to receive the salvation that Jesus freely purchased on the cross by shedding his innocent blood in our place. That's how we get it, and we can't boast. And that's what happened in Carl's life six weeks ago. One day, six weeks ago, Carl said, I trust that Jesus died for me. I ask him to be my Savior and Lord. I receive the new life that he died to give me. And boom. Everything was different. And that's the way it is for some people. Wow, everything's different. For others, not so much, you know? We have that happen, but then it's just like this painstakingly slow process that takes place over time. But we gain entrance into the family of God through the blood of Jesus. And then once we're, we realize that we're members of God's family, we realize we have a new status. Do you realize that God thinks you're awesome? It says it right there. We just read it. It says, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. I am God's masterpiece. And why did he create us? He created us so we could, what? Do good works. Let me explain it this way. All of us have been at some time part of a family. Maybe you were were a part of a family. Maybe you're growing up now, so you're still part of a family. And what he's saying here is, when your mom or dad says, hey, will you do this? You go, I am so glad that I'm thankful I'm part of this family. I'll be just honored to do it. Isn't that how it worked? You know, every time your mom or dad said, do something, you just said, I'm so grateful, I'm so thankful to be part of this family, I can't even believe it, I'll be glad to do it. But that's what it says here. We don't get into the family by what we do. We get into the family by being born again in this case, and once we're born again, we realize that we're God's masterpiece, and we go, whoa, what do you want me to do, man? Probably that's not very polite to say to God, but I sort of do that sometimes. Okay, what do you want me to do today, God? What? Okay. You know, and sometimes I don't have a smile on my face, but I do what he tells me to do. Or I don't sometimes do what he tells me to do, and when I don't, what does that mean? Does it mean I'm not part of the family? No. It just means i got to confess that I didn't do what he told me to do, and i got to repent of it, turn away from it, and go back and get restored. Because that's how it works in the family of God. You don't get kicked out because you weren't good enough. Thank God for that. (laughs) I'd be preaching to an empty church, and I wouldn't be preaching Right? Okay, so I want you to know this. Carl was not part of my spiritual family until six weeks ago, even though he was part of the biological extended family for 33 years. And there are a lot of people out there in the world right now, a lot of people out there in the world right now who are not part of our family, and I know why. It all boils down to one thing. In the end, it all comes down to this. They haven't yet experienced the reality of God's grace in Jesus Christ, or they've just flat out rejected it through selfishness or through some intellectual argument or through some painful experience, they've been blinded to the truth that God loves us with an everlasting love and that God welcomes us unconditionally and that He has a plan and a purpose for our lives that beats anything that the world could ever manufacture for us. And our lives are going to be rich and full and eternal when we follow Him. You know, you have relatives like mine, biological relatives who have rejected God. Or maybe you're here today And you're like that. Maybe you have never believed that there's a God. Maybe you've just lived your life based on, you know, just survive or or just do what's fun. But, But you've never said, there's a God outside of me who exists whether I believe in him or not. There's a God who has a son whose name is Jesus who died for me. Maybe you've never realized that Jesus died for you with a capital Y, O, U. He died for you. And that he wants to live inside of you by the power of his Holy Spirit, which comes to every person who trusts Jesus as Savior and Lord. You know, when the Apostle Paul was talking about this family, 
He said some very important words. This is what he said. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. You know, those words are generally true. And generally in life, we should treat older men with respect and honor and women. And we should treat younger men as our brothers and we should treat younger women with purity. But that's especially true in God's family. When we're in God's family, this is telling us how we're supposed to live our lives, you know. But the problem is, my experience is, a lot of people have rejected the church of Jesus Christ. Therefore, they've rejected Jesus Christ because they look at churches and they say, well, they're yelling at each other. They're, they're not treating each other with respect. They're not treating young women with purity. They're not doing any of this stuff. And those words hit home with me. These words right here hit home with me for the very first time 24 years ago when my mom died. I didn't have a mom anymore. And I was just going to a new church. I had just actually not even started there yet. I was going to just start a few days after my mom died. And there were three women that I had never met, and they were older women. And, and they decided from day one they were going to be my mom. And the first one, what she would do is about once every two months, she would come to church, and she would bring in these two tea rings. And if you don't know what a tea ring is, you should know what a tea ring is. But anyway, they were really good. And she would say this. She would say, Pastor, I want you to give one of these to whoever you want to give it to, and I want you to keep the rest of it for the other one for yourself. I don't want you to share it with anybody. No, I really liked her. <laughs> then the second mother, the second mother came in and she said to me, Are you spending enough time with Nancy and Abby? And then later, Emmy. And, and about every couple of weeks, she would come to me and she'd say, Are you sure that you're taking care of yourself? Are you getting you look a little tired? And I liked her a lot, but not as much as the one that brought the tea rings. And then there was another one. And what she would do is she would come to me periodically and she would say, Chris, I'm so proud of you. I see you growing up as a, as a pastor. I, every day I see you, you know, you're, you're doing a better job. And I really liked her too. And the thing is, as you look around in this room this morning, as you look up there, as you look in the nursery, as you look, you know, and as you look at Seneca Hills at the junior high camp, you have the family of Jesus Christ that's known as New Life Christian Ministries. Little babies, toddlers and children, teenagers, you know, young adults, middle-aged adults, and old people. And, and the thing is, you know, I have to sort of think I might fit into the old people one because I don't know many 114-year-old people. I'm 57. You know, people say I'm middle-aged. Well, 57 plus 57 is 114. I think I'm past middle age, you know? And I had somebody who told me I was a little too blunt there. But anyway, do the math. And as you look around, this is a family. And the thing about this family is the only thing that unites us is the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not, some of us are biologically related, but most of us aren't. Some of us have, you know, common interests. Most of us don't. Some of us are the same age, but most of us aren't. There's this wide range of ages. And the thing is, what brings us together is the truth and love of Jesus Christ. And my fervent prayer and my daily commitment as the lead pastor of this church is that this local church family known as New Life Christian Ministries is going to continue to grow in our love for God first always and our love for each other, for our brothers and sisters. And, and, and so that those who come in who, who don't yet fit in the family because they haven't yet trusted Jesus will look around and go, wow. I don't know if I could ever find a family that was like this. 
And you can't without the blood of Jesus Christ. But we have it. And here's the commitment for today. It says this, I will treat every follower of Jesus as a member of my family. And I will welcome those who don't yet know him to join us too. Rick Warren, who has more than 30,000 people in his local church family, came up with this little rhyme many years ago to sort of explain the difference between those of us who are like in the heavenly family up in heaven, you know, and the ones that are actually here on earth. And it says this, to live above with those we love, obviously that's heaven, oh, that will be a glory. But to live below with those we know, now that's a different story. It isn't always easy to love each other. It isn't always easy to like each other. It isn't always easy to be there for each other because, you know, people are people and sometimes we grate on each other's nerves. In fact, last night I had to take a staff person aside and I had to apologize because I sent an email out on Friday that said she did something that she didn't even do it. And actually she had been so far ahead, she did it in June and I told her she hadn't done it yet. And I was wrong. I was wrong. And I hurt her deeply, and, and I asked her forgiveness. And, and you know, and, and I realized something. I'm hurting right now, obviously. My family is messed up right now. If you don't know that, it's easy to find out by going on Facebook. But anyway, but anyway, I don't have any right to treat anybody with less love because of my feelings. And I realized that. It was a good lesson learned. And the thing is, she showed me grace and she showed me love like people do when Jesus Christ is in charge of our lives. And, and one of the things that I, that I have been experiencing, that Nancy's been experiencing, is that just like Aaron and her held up the hands of Moses in the wilderness so the Amalekites could be defeated, you all have been holding up our hands in prayer. And you've been there and you, you, know, and you, you look at me and you go, are you all right? Well, no, but Yes. You know, yes, I'm all right, because Jesus Christ is still in charge of the universe. And the Bible is still true. And, and, and you all, who are part of New Life Christian Ministries, you are members, you who are my brothers and sisters, because of what Jesus Christ did in our lives, you're sustaining us. I hope you know that. And certainly, God is. There's that direct line of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's great. But it's nice to have God with the skin on sometimes, and you all have been that for us. And, and that's my prayer, is that there would be no one in this room who could go through something so difficult without anybody. Everybody in this room, I want you to know Jesus Christ so that when you have an issue, because it isn't if you have an issue, it's when you have an issue in your life. Somebody will be there who won't be there throwing stones but giving hugs. So thank you all for that. Now, I want to talk to some people in the room who may not yet be family members. I want to tell you this. This is not the best perfect family because that's in heaven, but it's the next best perfect family that I've ever been part of. And if you want to be part of the family of God that lasts not only for this life, but forever, it's very simple, but it's not easy. I want to give you a warning. It's not easy. All you have to do, and actually what I'm going to ask you to do, everybody, if you would just close your eyes right now, if you would all close your eyes, I want you to think, especially if Jesus Christ is not Lord and Savior of your life right now, I would ask you to simply consider this. There's a God, objective reality outside of you. He exists. 
He has a son whose name is Jesus. And that Jesus came to the earth as a baby and he lived a perfect life and he grew up and he died on a cross and he rose from the dead. And he said that if anybody comes to him, he'll never cast them away. So you might think you don't deserve to go to heaven. You don't. Neither do I. Neither does anybody. But Jesus died so we can have our sins washed away and we can have a new life. And so right now, if you say, I've lived my whole life for me, just like Carl. And it might not have been 79 years, but however long you've been alive, I've been living for me. I've rejected God, but now I want him in my life. If that's you, would you please raise your hand right now? If you've never done that before and you would like to do that right now, you would like to have Jesus Christ come into your life, take over your life. Okay, you can put your hands down. And now I'd like everybody to open your eyes and look at me. Those of you who are part of the family, there is nothing like, nothing like knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and sharing Him with other people in the family and outside the family is what we're charged to be and do for all of the life that we have here. And I thank you so much for the ways that you have been faithful to that. For those of you who had your hands raised this morning, I want to show you a prayer and that prayer, it's, it's not a magic prayer. There's no such thing as a magic prayer, but it's a, simply it's the truth. We pray to God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. And, and take that very personally when you pray that prayer. I admit I'm a sinner and I don't deserve your love. I give my life to you right now and I ask you to be my Savior and Lord. Savior means saved from sin and death. Lord means owner. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit, the presence of the living God that I may live more and more as a member of your family now and forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you have never prayed that prayer and you had your hand raised up, then would you pray it with me? And any, a few of you, if you would, pray that prayer, even if you have prayed it so that those who had their hands raised might not feel so alone because we're a family, right? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I admit I'm a sinner and I don't deserve your love. I give my life to you right now and I ask you to be my Savior and Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may live more and more as a member of your family now and forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.